mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com I hold an immense amount of guilt for the narrative that I played out, you know, online. Alice Living was offered her first six-figure book deal at age 22, whilst known online as Clean Eating Alice. What I really wanted from this episode was for it to be a really open and frank conversation about the reality of different trends on social media, but also can have an impact on the people perpetuating the trend. I was on the front cover of Women's Health magazine. I had this rippling six-pack. At what point did you realise that your content needed to change? When an article came up in the Daily Mail that said, Alice is the cause of eating disorders, and I remember having a, a complete physical breakdown. The fact that we make teenagers so famous and put them in such a position of authority creates an environment that it makes that happen. I go on TikTok now, Grace, and I'm terrified by what I see. Guys, you're doing what I did. Stop. In an industry that encourages exploitation, if a 19-year-old blows up tomorrow, as soon as that person gets some negative press, no one's going to stop for a second at dropping that and moving on to the next. I now am terrified of being online. There are going to be pockets of the internet that continue to perpetuate these toxic narratives. With social media now, like it's probably far more pervasive and I'm not sure how we do stop that. I'll tell you my kind of like rock bottom moment. Welcome to Working Hard, Hardly Working. Today's episode features the super inspiring Alice Living. Alice is the definition of a multi-hyphenate, a personal trainer, best-selling author, founder, influencer. She was offered her first six-figure book deal at age 22, whilst known online as Clean Eating Alice. But since then, Alice's career has taken a turn, pivoting away from clean eating and towards balance, sustainable exercise, and well-being. What I really wanted from this episode was for it to be a kind of really open and frank conversation about the reality of social media and the reality of different trends on social media and how they can have an impact on all of us, but also even on the people perpetuating the trend. I didn't expect this conversation to be so honest and open, to be honest. I thought it was really, really incredible how she was able to share that with us. And I do think it's a kind of lesson on growth and why we don't need to be too harsh on ourselves about our past decisions. I've never heard a conversation like this happen, especially around things like social media and diet culture and the realities of kind of what social media used to be, what social media can be now and the the issues with perpetuating trends within social media for kind of everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you do, please don't forget to like and subscribe and review wherever you're listening. It really helps the podcast and helps us to get some nasty office like this but also all of the incredible guests we're gonna have this year and I cannot tell you how excited I am we have so much in store Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to chat. Um, I feel like we have a lot to talk about, especially as people who kind of started a career within the fitness industry. When you're shot into a position that you're in, you kind of need to be in that position. You need to do the thing. You've had a really, really interesting journey in terms of what you originally kind of came into fame for and then kind of 
talking about your journey since then and everything. I just think it's incredibly interesting. So I very much want to get into that. But first of all, I would love to speak a little bit about your kind of early career. As a young person, that sounds like you're not young now. <laughs> she looks at me with a youthful glow. Um, but when you were kind of a teenager, did you always want to kind of work in fitness? Were you always interested in fitness? Yeah, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Also, just I want to say how nice it is to like have seen your growth as well. You know, when you referenced them, we started at the same time. So it's amazing seeing you do so well. And I genuinely say that like I'm I'm so happy for you and I and I love that I'm sat here in this position. It's so nice. In answer to your question, did I always want to work in fitness? No. Um, growing up, I was never sporty. When I think back to my kind of sporting journey, I was the kid at school who would do anything to get out of every games lesson, every opportunity that I had to move my body. I was like running the other way. Mm. You know, I think that tied up in that as I started to recognize that exercise was something that I kind of had to do as part of my school experience. I then pivoted to be like, right, well, I guess I'll just do it from a fat loss perspective. You know, right. I was one of those kids who grew up at the time when you'd spend your, you know, time in the gym on the treadmill, just watching the calorie tick over and over and up and up. Yeah. And you'd get to a certain number and be like, oh, okay, yeah, done. And that to me was exercise. And my relationship with fitness, with movement was pretty one dimensional. It was all about body composition. And I guess as well, coming from a dance background, that being a big part of my childhood, that was something that was always at the forefront of my mind anyway. So yeah. again, like I said, it wasn't into like fitness as such, but I did love to dance. And wrapped up within that was this idea that you had to remain small, that there was one certain body type that was kind of you know preferred. And so I guess as I had that you know journey through sport and exercise, it was all very much prefaced by well, I'm going to just do it to make myself smaller then. Right, which still very much was the case when you started your career as well. Like there are, you know, there have absolutely been different body trends, mm. horrifically. But I also, you know, it was still very much like be as small as possible. Yeah. Um, it was very much in the kind of just post the era of like all of the kind of tabloids, the things, you know, you like the fact that you would literally have a magazine where with like a celebrity on the front being like, looks like she's put on 10 pounds horror stories of like no one wants to live with her. Such an insane era, which we obviously haven't truly grown out of. But that obviously, you know, was still really the landscape when you started hosting about fitness. Yeah. And I also think that even if we take a step back from that, my understanding and my relationship with food, exercise, all these things didn't necessarily even start from there. It started like in the home, mm. you know, when I think about my mum's relationship with food. And I do think that when we when we think about all of these, you know, experiences and all of our kind of strange relationships that we have with food and exercise as women, you know, I feel like we're in a much better place now, but there's still a lot of, like you said, that stuff floating around. We have to look back to our mothers and their mothers and their experiences and the fact that this stuff isn't new. It's just often, you know, chameleoning into other form formulas but but actually you know I remember being as young as seven eight and you know going with my mum to her personal trainer uh where you know it was all about kind of you know oh I've got to lose weight and there was this big thing about exercise being totally connected to, to weight loss and and then not really being much else to it and so you know no wonder that's what I believed and you know when I started my own journey of training or whatever that I genuinely 
solely believe that exercise was there to change how we looked mm. um, and that it was rooted in in fat loss. So yeah, of course, that was, you know, what I set out to do when I started my journey, you know, online. At the time, there was just absolutely nothing wrong with the fact that I was in an already fairly small, lean body, but yet that wasn't enough and I wanted to be smaller and I was praised for that journey. Right. And before we come on to speak more about that in the beginning of your kind of career in fitness, I want to talk a little bit about your career on the West End, <laughs> purely from a point of selfish interest. Yeah. What did your days look like? Well, so I was I was in a UK, UK number one tour. So I graduated from Bird College and I actually graduated early because I got my first job in Annie, um, which was really exciting. And before anyone asked, no, I didn't play Annie. Everyone was like, were you Annie? <laughs> no, no. Guys, <laughs> I was I was in the um, like adult ensemble and I actually covered Grace Farrell, which is like the lead female part. So that was fun. And, you know, it was amazing to get a job in an industry that I had dreamt my whole life of being in. Like when I was a little girl, like I would be going to, you know, musicals in the West End and just sitting there and being like, why can't it be me? Oh my God, it's such, you know, I still go there and I'm like, <laughs> yeah. And I think that like, and, and, and one of the things that I'm at peace with now, which is why it's really nice that I can look back on those times with such fond memories is I did it. And I'm really proud of myself for doing that. Like I did a year tour and in answer to your question, like it was hard work, like the hardest I've ever worked in my life. At the time I had started the, you know, Instagram page. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of doing stuff for that. I was also training a lot because, you know, as we said, exercise became a big part of changing my body composition. And then at the same time doing eight to 10 shows a week, moving around to different cities in the UK every week. So I remember starting up in Newcastle and when you're on a tour, I think I was on roughly like 400 pounds a week, just being totally honest, so, which, you know, was difficult in the sense that a lot of that then had to go on my accommodation. I was moving around every week and I- Oh, they don't pay for your accommodation in the tour. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> this is like- Scammed. Yeah. The crazy world of like theatre touring. Obviously, with no job, you would expect them to pay for that. Apart from if they're making you, like if you relocated for secondment or something. Yeah. You were given a moving fee, but also you would have had to pay for short-term accommodation. You would have yeah. had to pay for a hotel. Yeah, it was it was pretty bad. I mean, we got per diems, which was kind of like a bit of money towards our, our travel, yeah. especially because we were traveling so much between each city. You had to pay for the travel? Well, yeah, pretty much. Like a lot of people- On the travel? Yeah. Oh, babe, it was like, yeah, spit and sawdust, real, like real hard work. And I have to tell you the story, right? And this is where like, I think it really gave me a good grounding of like genuine hard work. Right. That's not to say that I don't think other people don't work really hard, but it was for me that probably that experience that I needed that really took me back to basics and taught me such a high level of discipline. So my first stop on our UK tour was in Newcastle mm -hmm. and I was a complete newbie to touring, never done it before. So I had no idea in terms of like the, you know, if I did it again, I'd be much more well-versed, but I rocked up in Newcastle and I'd messaged this guy that was in the year below me at school who I knew was at uni there. And I was like, hey, like, have you got a spare room? Like, can I, stay in your, can I stay in your spare room? And uh, I just can't believe I even did that. But I rocked up to, he was like, yeah, sure. I'm not actually there because it wasn't in uni time, but you're welcome to stay in my room. I was like, great, amazing, free room. So save myself a bit of money. So I got to this house in Newcastle and I go in this like, stoner lets me in he's like hey the room's upstairs and um got up to this room and um there were no bed sheets 
Um, there was no working light. So I got back to the house after finishing rehearsals at like 11 p.m., walked through the door, like the light in my bedroom didn't work and the tap didn't turn off. So it was just like dripping the whole night. And I honestly lay there like this and just was like, I can't do this. I remember ringing my mom and crying and being like, I can't do this, mom. I can't do this. And she was like, yeah, you can. You're going to take yourself back to the theater tomorrow and you're going to find yourself. Like my mom's always been really good at never like giving me a leg up. Like she's always been like, find a solution, Alice. Yeah. Do it. So, um... Went back to the theatre, ended up finding another room in some old man. I mean, now I think about it, I'm not kidding you when I say I stayed in. This man must have been like 65, something like that. Chain smoker, had a spare room, single bed in a high rise in Newcastle. Absolutely lovely man, by the way, but had no idea who he was. Just complete stranger. And there I am, having had failed digs on my first night, rock cut up to his house and I was like, hey, I'm going to be staying with you for two weeks. Like, here's my bags. I've got to run to the theatre, but see you later. Left all my stuff there, my worldly possessions, and was like, hi. <laughs> so wild. And honestly, and then the funniest part was, like I said to you at the time, I was like doing all the stuff on my Instagram as well. So every morning he'd like come in and I was like arranging my bowl on the kitchen table with like my perfect like porridge or whatever yeah. I made. She was like, what is this <laughs> girl doing? around the outside. I'm not even kidding you. I used to travel with plates in my suitcase. Like I gave up space in my suitcase so that I could travel with like plates and cooking stuff so that I could carry on posting on my Instagram. Like that was the level of commitment to the uh, to the, to the cause. But yeah, it was a crazy ride. I, I don't talk about it that much, but there were some wild experiences in terms of like, I remember one room that I stayed in in Portsmouth in this like lovely old lady's house who clearly had like some kind of cognitive decline. I'd walk in and then like the kettle would just be like boiling and there'd be something on the hob. And I had this tiny single bed in her house where I couldn't even get my suitcase in the room. So like my suitcase had to be like outside the room. And it was just, it was really wild. And I think that, you know, going back to what I said about teaching me hard work, but also like giving me such a good grounding of like, life outside of London and in different people's homes. I stayed in so many different places. I met so many amazing people. And for all the like bad days, there were some amazing ones. Like I remember staying with this family in Oxford and being like, can I move in with you guys? Like, I love you. Really like to be like with your family. So, um, so yeah, touring was really hard to anyone who does it. It's like hats off to you. And I think that just generally, and I know that you come from kind of a theater and music background as well. Like it is difficult and I think that um I have so much respect for all performers but particularly those in musicals because I think it is really really tough to live in a world where you are getting like constant rejection the money's not even great so once you do even get a job it's like well I'm still struggling there's not great rights in terms of like what you're able to do within a contract you know I've got friends that are in shows and have had all sorts of difficult things go on so I did a year and then I was like I'm going to just take a bit of time out from from touring. I was like mentally and physically exhausted. I wrote my first book while I was on tour as well. So I was doing eight wow. shows a week. Within that first Within year. that first year, I was also writing my book. So I'd like finish the show at like 10.30, I think. Or no, 10 we came down because we had kids in the show. So 10 we'd come down. I'd go home and maybe work for two hours. I'd then be up at 6 a.m. I'd sleep for like four hours, be up the next morning, go to the gym, film a workout at the gym because I had to post that on my Instagram, get to the theater. We always had rehearsals because we had loads of kids in the show so we were constantly rehearsing in new kids so it was just it was a lot and I'll, I'll tell you my kind of like rock bottom moment but basically I don't know if anyone knows Annie the musical but I had the part of star to be which is the girl that comes out with the suitcases and it's like NYC I won't sing it <laughs> but 
that was me. You could sing it all. Yeah, I'd like it. That was me. And um, I remember that I was in Aylesbury at the theatre in Aylesbury. And this was towards the end of the tour. And this was at a point when I, you know, I, you know, when people say they're like mentally, physically like drained, I had nothing left in the tank. Bear in mind as well, I was also suffering from disordered eating. So my brain was not functioning. And we can go into that. But um, I was at the theatre in Aylesbury. I had my mum in the audience because that's like close to my, where, my hometown where I grew up. And uh, I stepped out onto the stage to sing this solo part where the stage is empty. It's just me and it's just me in these two suitcases. And I have maybe like a minute of singing on my own on the stage. What do I do? I come out. I've done this show maybe a hundred times before, maybe more. My mind is blank. Nothing, nothing comes out. That is my worst. So I literally stood there and I'm like, I sing the first line and then I literally just look out at this audience and I'm like, I have not got fucking clue what's supposed to come out of my mouth next. What do I do? I'm like, and then I was like, like I, I, I sang crap. Like I sang, I can't even tell you what I sang. I can't tell you what words came out. But I remember my mum coming to the stage door at the end of the show. <laughs> she was like, what happened tonight? She's seen the show before. She's like, what happened tonight? She's like, she had a little minor blip. But yeah, oh that God. That is my worst. That I can't even, I'm actually getting hot thinking about it. because I'm getting hot. I'm like sweating. It was, it was really stressful. But yeah, that's probably one of my favorite stories from tour was um, <laughs> just having a complete and utter mind blank and I know I know there's lots of people in theatre who've had the same it's like, it's like a weird thing in your brain where you've done something so many times before right. and then suddenly you're like because also you're not gone about it because it's yeah like the, yeah or uh, god that makes me so <laughs> deeply uncomfortable that is a that is food for my next few nightmares so thank you so much for that <laughs> um you've alluded to it within that uh-huh. story obviously this was kind of simultaneous like you were simultaneously blowing up on social media mm-hmm. And at a time where blowing up on social media meant a lot, I don't say that to diminish people blowing up on social media now. Like, I'm not fucking blowing up on social media now, but it's more like the, it's very different. Like in terms of the virality was reserved for people kind of really, 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 really blowing up in a kind of personal brand sense who would also get book deals, who would also get like all of these different things. Like it was a huge thing. Mm. Can you tell me the story of, how you grew your page, how it kind of started, like what was happening then? First of all, there were just less of us. So the opportunity to go viral was, was you know, higher. But you're right that it was a very different type of kind of viral. Social media was really new. And um, it was in its infancy in the sense that like everyone was just kind of muddling about and doing their best. But there was there was so much messiness to it that I actually really missed. Like I missed the kind of, messiness and the the authenticity of of social media back then that's not to say that people can't be authentic now it's just very different in terms of its its like style but I started posting when I was at college so this was before I went on the tour really I set out to create a food diary I had this ambition that you know there was a everyone thinks about like a moment in their life that really changed them and I know that it wasn't one necessarily um big catalyst but there was definitely a meeting that I had with a teacher at my college and she sort of sat me down at the end of my, I think it was at the end of my first year. And she said something like, you know, and, and bear in mind, I'd gone to this college and I was definitely like lower down in terms of my capabilities. Like I remember feeling such imposter syndrome and I actually fell flat on my face, actually flat on my ass on my, in my first year jazz assessment and literally like one of the grounds swallowed me up. Like I just wasn't, I wasn't great. 
I remember her sitting me down. I didn't get great marks in my first year assessments. And she said to me, you know, Alice, like you just really need to get stronger. Like you're lacking strength. You um, don't have enough core strength to support you. And it's really apparent like in the way that you dance. That was what she said. And like, it wasn't said in a really harsh way, but you know, when something really sticks in your brain. And so when I moved into like my second year and kind of through my college experience, I was like, you know, I kind of took that as, well, I need to lose weight. Like my body's not right. I need to change myself. And I think that I had such a deep hunger to succeed in the theater industry that it was almost as though like it was just a non-negotiable that that had to happen. And I think that was really sad because, you know, theater is becoming so much more diverse slowly, but it is. Um, but at the time it really wasn't. And so, you know, I, I remember girls in my year who, you know, all of us were pretty petite, very petite, and still thinking that we weren't quite enough for, you know, what the, the industry wanted. And we were told, and, you know, there was a lot of kind of toxic um, language used and stuff that that I guess colored how we felt about ourselves. But um, yeah, it was that moment that made me feel as though I needed to change my body. And so I started this Instagram as a way of creating a food diary and really it was just taking pictures of pretty horrendous looking plates of food mm. that were terribly cooked, um, very bland, but they were my way of keeping some level of accountability in terms of what I was eating. I never intended to, for, for, for myself to go viral. I never, I, like, you know, you and I both started at a time where being an influencer didn't even exist, right? We just were trying to build a community maybe or like engage with like-minded people. I think for me, mine was, you know, I'm going to start this page. And initially it was private. When I made it public, it was solely so that I could engage with people who were doing similar things to myself. I just enjoyed that level of interaction. And I think when you're, um, you know, I was living at the time in a house full of three guys and one girl and like none of them wanted to hear about my diet adventures. So I was like, well, I'll share it with people online instead. Um, so yeah, I, I, I didn't set out in any way for it to grow to what it did but it just so happened that it was at a time when there was a a definite appetite for um diets and health and fitness related content you know we have to reference people like joe wicks and delicious Ella, who really were the kind of um first in terms of uh, kayla Zinez as well another person who i remember as being the first in terms of this new wave of young um wellness kind of inspirations let's call it I think part of it and I don't mean this is a criticism of everything I completely I think this was the case with mine as well it was disguised as a health thing oh yeah when in a lot of the don't get me wrong part of it was and I you know was very much in pursuit of some idea of like health or mm. thought that losing weight was going to make me healthier or like whatever it might be but like the the appetite was for things that weren't were a rebellion against the kind of like heroin chic but were kind of not that different like it, it felt different and that's what people wanted they wanted this like super clean very kind of like healthy and colorful and all of this rather than like cigarettes and coffee mm. like there was a, there was that change which felt healthier yeah. and so therefore was like very much glorified in terms of like you know it was essentially what we should all aspire to because it was healthy we had no we definitely didn't understand things like orthorexia or anything yeah. like that at the time I think that's such an important point to make and I completely agree with you because 
I genuinely hand on heart when I first started doing it, everything that I was doing, I genuinely thought I was pursuing health. Mm. To me, I had no idea that actually what I was doing was unbelievably restrictive, incredibly disordered. Those things weren't even on my radar. I was like, I'm the pinnacle of health. I've cut out all these things that, you know, because when I first went to uni, like my first year at uni was spent like having total food freedom in the way that I'm really glad that I did. I'm so happy I had that year because it was amazing. But, you know, I was eating pizza for dinner every night. I was having ice cream with my friends. Mm. We would get a Domino's every Sunday and I'd have like a pizza and a half. Like mm. it was just like I had total food freedom. So with that being my before, let's say, to then go to what I was doing and the kind of way that I was eating and my approach to exercise, it felt completely normal, healthy, you know, I didn't have any concept of it being dangerous or damaging. As I don't think any of us did. No. And I feel like that's one of the things that I've struggled with as the discourse has changed mm. in terms of like, you only know that I've, I've spoken to on this podcast with Steph Claire Smith, mm. with Deliciously Ella, like there was, it didn't blow up just because of the person doing it. I can imagine because we've, you know, we now kind of demonize the term clean eating. That was very transparently in your the name of your business. Yeah. And like that's, it's so interesting because you know, you want to be able to move past it and look at it and be like, yeah, do you know what? Like, I mean, you've said openly, like I had, it was very disordered in my eating, all of it, it was restrictive, like all of these different things. You didn't know that at the time. And actually you were doing very much what you thought to be the right thing and actually, the reason you had such a following was because other people aspired to be like that. And it's so interesting, I think, in a kind of wider societal um, sense when we look at like the different trends on social media and how things have changed. And we're so quick to demonize past trends whilst also not having any acknowledgement of like the current or the fact that everyone within those trends was being lifted up because they were doing what everyone else wanted to see. Does that make sense? I feel like I've explained that quite badly. No, you haven't at all. You've explained it really well and I completely agree with you. And I think that I hold and continue to hold an immense amount of guilt for the narrative that I played out, you know, online. And that's quite difficult, you know, because I will still have people who are convinced that I'm a fraud, you know, I've only changed my opinion because it's got me traction or, you know, because the discourse changed and therefore I had to. And I am still, you know, messaged by people who are like, well, do you still believe what you wrote in your first book? And, you know, there's a lot of stuff that I, I had to play out really publicly in terms of a big climb down and a big acknowledgement of getting it wrong. And I think that I've tried to do that with grace and, you know, I've tried to do it in a way that allows me to be vulnerable and, and share the mistakes that I've made. But I do think that there's a part of me that feels, you know, that there does need to be a conversation had about how it was a wider context of a movement rather than it being individual people really driving that narrative. Yeah. And also I think that like, it's really interesting because I think that it's so, I think it's right that you've like had a conversation about it. And I think it's right that you've said, do you know what? This is what I was part of. This is what I believe now, kind of that type of conversation. What I think is even more important is the fact that we acknowledge that we are part of a culture that makes those things happen. Like I, that was also your journey. 
as much as it, you know, you say you hold a huge amount of guilt, I'm I'm really sorry. That that like that must be really tough. I also think and you know, like I can completely see like it's such a change industry. But I also think that that was also your journey. A lot of people go from teenagerhood dumb, whatever it is, um, to kind of being an adult and have these big changes and change in like what was healthy, what was not healthy. The fact that we make teenagers or very young adults so famous and put them in such a position of authority creates an environment that it makes that happen Mm -hmm. and also like you were also the one who had to have that disordered eating yeah I don't say had to because you had to I mean that you you went through that as in you you know as much as you posting salads might have affected someone else it also affected you and that was a very real journey you had as well and you couldn't have realized that any other way than going through it much like we all will have had our own private journeys with unhealthy relationships with relationships with food with any of those things at the time we thought it was the right thing and therefore if you're in a position of authority you're going to be saying that's the right thing yeah that's nothing you know until yeah i know it later like i used to say all like on youtube used to like have such strong opinions about things that i look back now and i'm like you know nothing and i also think like isn't that life don't Mm. we have to get things wrong in order to get them right like who leaves school and suddenly makes every decision, you know, in the right way and never makes a mistake? Like, I think, and, you know, to a certain extent, I've been grateful for the continued support in that transition. But when I think back and I think about my experiences, you know, for example, like I was 22 when I signed my first book deal. Like, that is so young. When I now think about 22-year-old me and I think, about the amount of, you know, I got a six-figure paycheck for that first book. Like, what? You know, like, who does that? It says so much about us. Yeah, and I had zero, like, I I think I just got my personal training qualification. I had zero nutritional qualifications. And as much as I was driving that ambition to, you know, I'm having these opportunities given to me, of course I'm going to take them. Like, again, like I said, when the background was that year of hard work on tour, Someone, t- you know, a book agent turns around and she says, I'm going to give you X amount of money to write a book. Who's going to turn around and say, actually, no. Like, I didn't have the the confidence that I have now in the importance of qualifications and know-how and all that sort of stuff. Like, I didn't have that. I think to myself, like, I didn't really have anyone protecting me. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't. And when an article came up in the Daily Mail that said, Alice is the, you know, cause of eating disorders. And I remember having a, a complete physical breakdown as in like I lost it and I was like how has this happened you know I just think to myself like I I I think there could have been been, I don't want to it's not it's not that I'm pointing any blame at all because I actually think that we were all just part of a really toxic time and I think that now I'm just grateful that I have really and I know this sounds a bit cliche to say but like done the work and Mm. had to unlearn a lot of stuff and like you know I do have guilt because I'd be crazy not to because I know that what I did had an impact on a lot of people so for me to just say oh you know I was just a product of my environment I don't necessarily feel that I do feel that there has to be some level of accountability right but at the same time I also think I I'm grateful for the journey that it's given me Mm. because I find myself now sat here and I'm like 
I'm in a good place. You yeah. know, I have good people around me. I have amazing management. I've got a business that's thriving. I have a fiance. Like I, I have a life that I'm happy for. And I, again, going back to my original point, like I've made mistakes in order to get to this point. And don't we all, like, don't we all fumble our way through? I completely agree with all of that. And I think it's really powerful. And I'm so grateful to you for talking about it because I feel like that's actually how we reclaim the conversation as well when it's kind of that must have been really hard for a number of reasons i do think that when we talk about something like some things like this when it comes to social media we talk about them as if the person has committed a literal crime (laughs) like as in like you saying like i you know what i did like all of this it literally sounds like you murdered someone (laughs) and like i think there is a disproportionate nature of social media when we have this very black and white approach to something that like you know for example that article saying you know you cause eating disorders you also had your own eating disorder and we lived in a society where they would offer someone who perhaps has that and perhaps if anyone had looked at that and said that's a 22 year old i would actually say from a position of like if they got a nutritional expert in and that nutritional expert was like or psychologist or whatever was like oh by the way the thing I would be careful about is this no one's looking out for that Mm. everyone's looking out for like how they can make Make the money sales possible I know and like (laughs) it is not like I think we there are a lot of questions to be asked when we are in a society that creates an environment that a 22 year old with in that scenario mm, is I think you're offered right. six figures to write yeah and honestly like that's why I'm so great like I moved management after I signed that book deal I was with someone else and I moved to the management I'm with now who I've been with for like my basically now my entire career and like the level of safeguarding now and protection that I have experienced like this is more to, speaking to a point to you know anyone who's an influencer or an up-and-coming content creator like having someone who is genuinely looking out for you makes all the difference to your career like I have felt so supported legally financially um emotionally you know from from a kind of pastoral perspective like just completely supported by my agency and by my manager in particular when my previous experience was was probably not so great you know um that made all the difference. And I genuinely, when I were to say what's given me the ability to carry on and to have longevity, it's genuinely, that's bit, that's a big part of the puzzle for me. Yes, it was me being able to do the work and being able to really like go on that journey of, you know, as, we, as we've spoken about. But I also think that that is a really important point to make. I don't mm-hmm. do this alone. Like I, I, I'm grateful that someone, you know, Izzy, my manager, um, found me, supported me, took me in a completely different direction that has continue to help me to thrive and has given me all of the protection that I need compared to that initial mm. situation. And that's also such a sign of a good person yeah. as well for many reasons because I can imagine that when you went through a huge transition in terms of your content, in terms of what you're promoting, in terms of not being a golden girl, in terms of like you're talking about that press, like any of these different things in an industry that encourages exploitation i mean that in a soft sense you essentially at that age that's what was happening it could have been very easy to see the cash dollar going in another direction mm-hmm. and actually understanding and i do think that's one of the biggest issues with this industry is that the function of it and the function of the cycles and how fast those cycles move means that it is very 
tempting to, you know, if a 19-year-old blows up tomorrow for whatever reason, no one is going to stop to think for a second about how they can get the most out of that. And equally, as soon as that person gets some negative press or falls down or is less exciting, no one's going to stop for a second at dropping that and moving on to the next one. Mm-hmm. It is by its nature pretty toxic as yeah. like, uh, you know, when, you're, when you don't have the right people. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/people today. What what point did you realize that your content needed to change? Well, first of all, I think that I just started changing how I was approaching health and fitness. It wasn't that I led it from a content perspective. Right. It was more that. I recognized in myself that there was a lot of behaviors that were pretty disordered mm. and I had to work to go through those behaviors and understand why they were problematic and overcome them. And that makes it sound really easy. It wasn't. There was a woman that I came across who I reference as like changing my life. <laughs> She's amazing. Um, and she was a client. I was a personal trainer at a gym in, in Southwest London and she was a client there, not of mine actually, of, of a friend of mine. She is an acupuncturist and she said, like, come and see me for a session. I'd love to see you because I was having some issues with my periods. I I wasn't having one. <laughs> you know, like, I think up until that point, I knew, I'd, kn- I'd known that there was something, like, not right. And I'd known that what I was doing was pretty unhealthy by that point. Like, I'd started to understand the levels of, like, disordered eating that I was going through and, and, and the impact that that was having on my body and, you know, and more. Um, but I remember going to see Emma and, like, she sat me down and she was asking me all these questions and... Then she starts asking me like quite weird ones. And when I, like anyone that has met or knows Emma Cannon, like she's a bit of like a witch. Like she's kind of a bit like crazy <laughs> in the best way possible. She just started asking all these weird questions. And then she was like, darling, she was like, can I be really honest with you? And I was like, yeah, of course. And she was like, you are too thin. Your body is struggling. You're doing too much exercise. And I think that you need to eat more. And we're going to help you get there. In order to get your period back, you've got to trust me. And I was like, oh my God, like she literally, you know, when like your mum kind of sits you down and she's like, what you're doing is not quite right. And we just need to put a bit of work in to get you better. And I think that it was like that she did it in such a like maternal caring way. Like it wasn't, it wasn't some, it it didn't feel like the overwhelming noise that was coming from like disordered eating is bad. What you're doing is bad. It felt like someone actually was like genuinely caring for me. And, and like that I was going through the same thing that lots of other people were. And she just, oh my God, helped me change my life, like big time. Even just learning that like my body was just experiencing too much stress. Like I was just doing way too much. Mm-hmm. And understanding that, like no doctor had 
told me that, you know, I'd gone to the doctor however many times and had all sorts of conversations about PCOS and all these things that might be going on. And actually, really, my body was just struggling right. to function. Yeah, and that's so classic as well, because what I feel like there's so much within our healthcare system, which worth saying is fantastic mm. and very important and just needs to be invested in more. But like the fact that no one will see there's especially when it comes to women, like there's such a binary approach to like seeing someone and being like, well, they're not a skeleton mm. and also seeing someone and being like, well, like as in like either side, it's like, well, yeah. Yeah, I know. I just offer you one of these five things think, that you might have that we yeah. don't know how to treat. I think we're getting better. Like, I, I think even the conversations around like amenorrhea and, and, and in particular hypothalamic amenorrhea and like, for those that aren't sure that the loss of a period basically through too much stress on the body, um, mm. low energy availability, too much exercise, stress, you know, whatever. Um, we are talking more about it. Doctors do know more about it. But, you know, it's hard because... A lot of the time, and this is such a big thing in my journey, is like, and actually it's a bigger thing, like if we take a step back, not even maybe necessarily with like, you know, body composition, but just generally like, you have to be ready to come to the decision to say goodbye to some of that stuff before, you know, before you allow those opinions in. Mm. So I reckon that Emma could have met me a year earlier and said those things to me and I'd have been like, she doesn't know what she's talking about. Yeah. But I think I was so ready and I so wanted to change that I took on board what she said so wholeheartedly and was like, oh my God, like this is this is obviously gonna, you know, this is what I need to do. And I think I had to say goodbye to my quote unquote dream body, what I thought was my dream body. That was something that I had to acknowledge that I was like, I'm gonna have to lose it. It has to go because I can't keep that and be healthy. And that's like a grieving process because I'd worked to get to this point where I had this body that I thought was like, you know, I would take pictures of myself every day and I would, you know, have this, I had this rippling six pack. I was on the front cover of Women's Health magazine. Like I was told by people all the time, oh, you look amazing. And I knew that that had to go. I was like, I can't keep this. This is not healthy for me. This is not what, what I need to be prioritizing. So it, it was that. And I think that, you know, anyone that's going through the same thing, like it is a grieving process because you know, like it or not, like we are so linked to how we feel about our bodies and, and, and that's so connected to confidence and mood and, you know, everything that we do is so connected. So I just think that like, it was almost that realization. It was like, I'm going to have to say goodbye to this body and I'm going to have to go on this journey where I start to accept that it's going to change. Always at the forefront of that was, I need to do it because the life that I was living had become so small. Like I had no social life. Every occasion I would always manage to get out of any thing that was revolved around food, I would have an excuse for. I was like the queen of, you know, getting out of stuff and and just like, it's almost like the walls just started to close in on me. I was unbelievably lonely. Like I cannot tell you, I was like chronically lonely. I would, sp- I moved into a flat on my own because I thought that's what I wanted. But I would spend so many nights just like, despondent and lonely and just like not living my life but too afraid to go out and live it because I couldn't imagine going out and having food freedom or having the ability to like enjoy myself so you know like it just it it was a like that yeah there was a rock bottom moment and I and I recognized that the alternative was just so much richer in terms of what it could offer me and that in order to 
move forwards to heal but I had to yeah had to say goodbye to what I had and 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 opt to for change and I'm not gonna lie like it was difficult but like now I'm like god thank god I did that and I feel in such a better place for it of course but um but yeah I do think that there's that's a difficult journey that people do have to go on and anyone that does it you know um full respect because it is hard yeah no absolutely and I do think there is I mean there are horrifically statistics about how much eating disorders are even increasing and I think that you know at the time that we were I mean so many like there was so many I had so many friends who've sorry to interrupt no that's fine but do you not think that it's like I go on TikTok now Grace and I'm terrified by what I see it's turned into 2000s yeah 2010s and I almost social media yeah I look at it and I'm like guys you're doing what I did like I almost just want to like shout and scream and be like stop like this is not the solution but it's almost like at every generation they have to make the same mistakes and I don't know how we undo that I do think an element of it is the fact that we now have social media and therefore the reason you were in a position that set an example to anyone else in the way you were eating was because you yourself were going through that journey Mm. just like I did Mm. just like all of my sisters did to some extent just like all of my friends did all to different extents all different people you know some had you know real eating disorders and some just you know had a little bit of a yo-yo diet here and there the fact that those people have newspaper type reach is exactly the recipe for that Mm. like the fact that you know I've seen it I, I find it really interesting how much criticism for example I've seen some fitness influencers get when they've come out essentially saying yeah, do you know what? I had an eating disorder mm. between this year and this year. And people were like, well, I was following you and you were telling me that was good. And it's like, yeah, yeah, no, I, I literally, I thought that was good. Mm. And I was also, you know, 20 or mm. more 30 and thought that was the right thing. Like that's the whole, social media is a perpetuation of what we individually are going through or want to portray. Therefore, it's always like there is an element of it that's going to be quite cyclical. Yeah. Like, is it going to happen to every single 18-year-old? Like, with social media now, like, it's probably far more pervasive. And I'm not sure how we do stop that. Yeah. You're so smart, Grace. Wow. I don't know. It's very <laughs> profound. <laughs> I'm like, sat here and I'm like, yeah. Go, girl. Yeah. It, you, know, you know, you're right. You're so right. And I am fearful for what's to come. But I'm also hopeful that at least we have like to a certain extent amazing role models in the public eye in general like I just I remember my upbringing and I now reference the current kind of media talent that we have that you know that is kind of ever present and I think there is more diversity we're not fully there but there's definitely more and I am glad that there are you know celebrities who come in different body shapes mm. and that there is more diversity across the board you know in every every category there's there's more of that does it go far enough no does it help the entire problem no but does it mean that some people might feel less alone you know yes um but i think you're absolutely right like social media isn't going away it's growing 
at an exponential rate. And that means that there are going to be pockets of the internet that continue to perpetuate these toxic narratives. And there's nothing that you or I sitting here can do to stop it, except for the fact that we can only control what we can control, right? We can only control our own messaging, our own narrative, and what we do within that space. And, you know, I made it my mission to never go back to where I was and to always have a really clear ethos and a really clear approach moving forwards, having done my own healing. Um, but, you know, like, I can't change the world. I wish I could. Yeah. And that also doesn't mean that you won't have, a, this is depressing. It doesn't also mean that you won't have something else that you, you know, and that I won't have something that I'll live my life in a certain way for some time. And I'll be like, this is how you should be doing it. And this is, you know, I try, like, I feel like one of the good rules is once you've learned never to tell people what they should be doing, you, you, you learn that pretty harshly yeah. in terms of, you know, when you go back on something like, like you have, like mm -hmm. I have, I do think that like, there's an element of that like I have no doubt that like when I I don't know might be when I have children like showing that on social media and being like oh well these are the three things that I think and then I'll look at that after my 17th child and think fuck now that's a terrible mm. idea or whatever it might be like it is the human experience will always be multiplied out to everyone else based on yeah. the fact that we have social media the one thing that I would say is like and, and I I'd love to hear what you feel about this but like I now just and terrified of being online. Like I actually, I, I'm at a point in my career where I'm not really like, like I'm, I'm not really growing. I'm not really kind of like, like I have my focuses that I feel like I'm doing good in, but genuinely every time I go to like open my phone or to say something, I am so fearful in a way that I've never been before. Like I almost feel like people are just waiting for there to be a mistake or waiting for you to say the wrong thing and I I just I'm I'm concerned for like what that does for people like you and I in terms of like you know I I, I don't know what the, the point I'm trying to make but I guess like you know at the start of this conversation I said I loved the messiness of social media in 2015 or whenever it was that I started mm. you know like the messiness and the mistakes and the and the kind of the the like friendliness as well are all wrapped up in that like that people were just nice yeah. and naturally as it's grown of course there's going to be so much discourse and so many people thinking and feeling different things and there being disagreements and you know many mistakes made by both you and I I'm sure we've both had our fair share of them but I I just find it so much more difficult to deal with like I do not know how you do it I don't know how other people do it and how 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 they have such a deep level of resilience like I'm such a people pleaser. I was about to say it's because you're a people pleaser. That's literally my answer is going to be it's because you're a people pleaser. And uh, no, but what I actually think is that that's exactly why I stopped social media being my main job mm. because I am a people pleaser and I like to be liked and I like to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. And the very nature of social media means you cannot context collapse for every single person. Like mm -hmm. I will put one version of something out and I expect it to be received well by every single person. Like that is a nuts. Like when you think about that logically, that doesn't make any sense. When I tell a story to three of my friends, I'll tell it differently. So why, what about if I tell it to 500,000 people, half of whom like me, half of whom hate me, half of whom have like no idea who I am, like whatever. Yeah. And so like its nature is not compatible with people pleasing. And that is why I got to a point where I was like, this is not the career for me. Mm -hmm. And like, I understand that it's a hugely privileged position to be in to make that decision. I made that decision 
and had a few really tough years and literally sliced my income by an obscene amount. But I also, I'm really happy now. Mm-hmm. And like, I also, and it's different, you know, it's different problems and like, you know, whatever. Sometimes I think I'm like, I could be a key influencer on a beach right now. Like, what are you <laughs> doing? Like, why did you make that decision? Like, lots of people want to be in that position. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, I'm obviously still doing it to some extent. But the important thing for me was getting to a point where I could say, do you know what? If you don't want me here, I cannot be here for the next year and yeah. I'll still be fine. Yeah. And even just having that option, it's like a fuck off fund for like mental capacity. But like, I think that, I don't know. I also think that there was an element of that, that by having that, it enabled me to worry less. Because I also think that there is this issue with social media in that because we see it so black and white, we have such disproportionate reactions to things. Like sometimes I see the reasons why some people were cancelled and like, don't get me wrong, like some of them are, you know, correct and like, you know, very valid and like I, but other ones when it's like, you're not actually angry about that. Like you cannot actually tell me that you're angry about that. You saw that and you thought, God, that's out of touch. And then you scroll past. You're not actually angry. Like you haven't thought about that at all today. You just know that that isn't PR friendly. And there is this disproportionate reaction that we're starting to foster based on the fact that that disproportionate reaction itself also gets traction. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's always going to be the reality of social media. Mm. And I think the thing that made me more comfortable with it was being able to be like, okay, well, I'm deciding to be here rather than needing to be here. And that's probably just a mental thing as well because no one needs to be anywhere. But actually, I mean, for me, I needed to spend two years basically being like, I'm going to put myself in a position where, you know, that can be the case. But also that's allowed me to then spend less time caring and instead be able to, because I also just went through a period of time where I was like so vanilla and so like, flavorless on social media and then I looked at all of the people that I love to follow and all of them have like strong opinions and they say it how they mean and they clap back as well like sometimes people get angry at them and don't get me wrong there's a time and a place for being like do you know what I absolutely didn't mean it like that Mm. there's also a time and a place for being like you know I didn't mean Mm -hmm. it like that Mm. stop trying to catch me out go touch some grass (laughs) like and like get over it and I think that every single person who I love to follow felt it was kind of like that And I also thought that I had like taken away every single part of my personality to be palatable to so many people that wouldn't even like me in real life. Mm. And it's like, is that my life's work? Mm. Like, is that the reason I was put on this planet? Oh God, yeah. Like so many amazing points, Grace. You are, you're a a wise girl. (laughs) I love it. I feel like this is a therapy session for me, for sure. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But I feel like also at the same time, this is where like the disproportionate reaction comes in on social media. If any of the people who genuinely felt that strongly about, I don't know, it, it, it can be true at the same time that you affected someone's past and also that you not just didn't mean to, because again, that sounds like you've committed a crime and done something terrible. And like you, anyone who would meet you would know that you would never mean to hurt a fly. Yeah. And that's the nature of social media. We're, because we're able to create such movement, we're also able to create harm at a level that is disproportionate that you couldn't have created harm at that level the reason you were able to it was able to be a movement was because of this like traction and because of the nature of like social media itself and I do think that's really interesting that some of the nicest people I've ever met in real life have had that to Mm -hmm. some extent 
Yeah. Like in terms of if they've been big on social media. Yeah, or... Nice, Grace. Feel really nice. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's so interesting that like we can create harm out of social media out of people who have never created harm in their yeah do you know do you know what's so funny though and i was literally having this conversation with my hairdresser the other day (laughs) lol classic like therapy chat in the in the hairdressers but she was asking me about like she was like oh do you ever get trolls and things like that and i was like yeah i do and i said you know what's so hard is that in a week i'll get so many nice messages from people i guarantee you that it's on you know, a Friday evening and I'll get a nasty message from someone. And my sole mission is to go back and prove to that person that I'm a nice person and it will consume all of my energy. And in a way that I'm just so not backboned enough to be able to deal with criticism and I'm working on it, guys, I am working on it. But I I feel this like deep sense of like, I've always been a girl who's tried to do things right and try to be the nice person and do the right thing. And social media unfortunately allows for people to make an opinion on you regardless of who you actually are like I might be those things sure I might also not but you know Susan in Sheffield doesn't care because she's already going to make an opinion of me and I'm never going to change that but I have spent so many years online doing my best to prove to people that I'm likable that I'm nice that I'm good that I'm palatable you know and and I will go and I will bend over backwards to try and do that and I I'm at a point now where I am starting to recognize that, you know, and I said this to my hairdresser, so I was like, I'm just wasting so much time doing that. Yeah. Like, I'm wasting so much time. Yeah, well, what I was going to say as well is, like, that is not your purpose in life. No. <laughs> it is not your purpose to convince Susan that you're a nice person. You know you're a nice person. All of the people around you know you're a nice person. And also, your purpose isn't even to be a nice person. Like, kind, yeah. Like, fuck nice. Like, we expect so much from, like, women in these types of positions too because I can promise you that anyone else who existed at the same time who was a man would not have gotten the same response as well so it's like you have to be nice and you have to be palatable and you have to be digestible and like all of these different things but like Alice that is not why you were put on this earth yeah like you can be nice to all of the people around you on the everyday it is not your duty to show up on social media and be nice to everyone I also think like guys I'm a personal trainer. Like, let's be real, just for a second. Like, I'm I'm literally a personal trainer. Like, I'm not really that much more than that. So, like, when we talk about kind of like niceness and stuff, like, do you go up to every trader in your like local Virgin Active and say, "Are you a nice person?" Like, right. do you want to be? But like, I sort of, I, I sort of sometimes have this moment where I do have a bit of confidence, and I'm like, I am literally fitness influence like come on guys stop <laughs> letting that affect your life but also i do think that's it like it's an element of it's very much a sexist thing too and no one can tell me it isn't because it's also the fact that like we in order for you to be successful people need to perceive you as nice otherwise your success is not worthy so and that is what we have to every for every single woman i talked about that in a rant i did the other day on instagram where i was literally like i was talking about a post I saw of Alex Cooper and like all of the things were an attack on her person Mm. which when you're talking when someone's somewhere to talk about like the business they're doing or whatever like we don't demand of men for them to be nice in order for what they do to be impressive Mm. whereas we condition the fact that someone is successful 
on the fact that they're nice mm -hmm. and you can talk about all of the amazing things you've done and the amazing career you've had and like what you've built for yourself mm -hmm. and if you're not nice it counts for nothing mm -hmm. first of all you're fucking nice mm -hmm. second of all it doesn't matter whether anyone thinks you're nice yeah. like don't get me wrong it's important to be kind and it's important to be polite and all of these things but like if that's what social media is going to create an environment where you essentially need to be such a dull down version of yourself that you're so palatable to every single person mm. because you would have to be in order to be received well by yeah. everyone and even then some people are going to receive you as fucking vanilla and going to be annoyed about that too it's just like i think that's really sad and i say it so passionately because i have been there yeah. and i have like stripped back every single part of my person and then i've been like fuck, like fuck that yeah like that cannot be why i'm on this earth mm. it also doesn't even matter and I don't say that to belittle it. I say that because I think it's important to remember in a world where we've never dealt with this type of environment. You're obviously now, as you say, a personal trainer in London. What would you say if you were training yourself 10 years ago? What would you say to the you that you were training? Ooh, that's such a good question. I think I would say less is more probably one of my biggest learnings in fitness and in how I approach training clients, training myself. I think we place far too much emphasis on exercise than it actually is in terms of this, you know, health and well-being equation. And I think that we undervalue recovery and the importance of recovery. I think when we take a step back and we understand like the amount of global stress that our body experiences in any given day, in any given week, month, year, I think that we have to recognize that that balance needs to be in line. And if we're doing loads of exercise, but we're also not really sleeping very well, and we're also working a mega stressful job, and we've got, you know, relationship issues, and we are, um, you know, going through whatever else, environmental stress, whatever it may be, um, that's going to have an impact. And so I think that I would say to myself, you know, dial it back, basically. I now use this kind of within my coaching and my, you know, particularly on my app and, and with my clients, like this idea that we all have this internal dial that at any point in our lives, we can turn up and we can turn down and learning that we are in control of that and that we can learn to dial things up if we need to, you know, if we're having a couple of months where we've been a bit slow on our training and we're maybe not doing so much, we've been quite sedentary, whatever, we can turn the dial up, but also really learning to turn it down and I think for me I would have gone back to that, that that 22 year old self and I would have said learn to turn the dial down learn to take it back less is more um food is really important eat well sleep well you know do all the basics but also don't overthink those things you know I think that we can become so obsessed with the minutiae of health and well-being we can become so obsessed with like the ice baths and how many hours we should be sleeping and this app and that app and you know, how much load should I be increasing my weights by every week and, and all these kind of things. And I think that like really for most people, it should actually be pretty basic. It shouldn't be occupying such a huge part of mm. your headspace. It should be, you know, am I getting roughly seven to eight hours of sleep a night? Am I roughly training three to four times a week regularly? Am I eating a diet that's got variety and is, you know, got quite a lot of vegetables and, and enough protein? And yeah, like it, it I just find myself getting a little bit frustrated by people that try and overcomplicate health and sell mm. it as, as, as to this something that is so hard to reach and we're constantly striving for. Right. It. Yeah. And it is so true as well that this is probably the first time in history that we've had a 
like that anyone that's not an athlete or something to that effect mm. like the quantity of people who train as if they are act as if they are eat as if they are i don't mean that as a criticism but i do think it's quite interesting that like for the first time ever rather than us like going to our jobs making our money coming home like having free time or whatever it might be there is like this huge amount of training as if it's you know like you are an athlete in yeah. some way and i think that you know what we have to recognize is athletes have an immense amount of support around right. them so like professional football team women's football team they will train every day but they will nap every afternoon without fail or they will have restful periods of non non-sleep deep rest where they are able to turn their dial down able to allow their bodies to recover and they are monitored to the nth degree they have new, their nutrition sorted down to the nth degree they're ensuring that they're eating enough they're not working at another job and you know i think we have to recognize that look this is one of the biggest things for me is like what's most important to me like mm. For me, I just took a step back from everything that I was doing at age 21 where the priority was all about being thin and it was all about you know, pushing my body and and trying to get the most of myself in the pursuit of like, I don't know, greatness. And then I took a step back and I met my fiance and I developed a new friendship group and I realized that like life is so much richer when those things are enjoyable things like I really love exercise right but because I because I love it I've allowed myself to like it not to, it doesn't rule my life you know I don't stress if I miss a day I love food and that means that a lot of my meals I prioritize foods that I know are going to make me feel good but I'm also able to like go for dinner with friends or order a takeaway with Patty if I want to or you know, like I've just given it less of a big priority in my life and maybe that's because I come from a background where it has been such a big occupation in my brain that for me I am someone who needs to take a step back and give it less power um and you know we still live in a in an environment where I think it's one in two women in the UK don't do enough exercise each week doing less than 30 minutes or something like that so like there's still this imbalance of those that do loads and those that don't do enough so you know, my whole thing has been I kind of want to be that trainer that falls in the middle and is like exercise is really important. Like, don't get me wrong, but it's got to be something that you enjoy, that you're able to stick to long term, that doesn't feel like it's ruling you. Um, and, you know, that you can kind of just see it as like a happy addition to your life rather than something that is like a chore or a punishment, whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I think that's so, so, so important. And I think that is the perfect place to wrap <laughs> given we have gone off on I feel like we've had such a good conversation thank you um, so much as well no thank you I think this has been yeah it's been really incredible and thank you so much for being so open and honest and transparent I feel like we can't have these conversations unless we're actually having these conversations um and yeah I'm really grateful to you for having that with me thank you so much Grace mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. 
Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com